the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today we'll begin a new series I'm calling, Oh, That Verse Means That? We'll take a closer look at some popular or well-known Bible passages that we've come to understand or have been taught one particular way, but in reality they really mean something quite different. Friends, the Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? In fact, it's crying out, even screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we do? Including preachers, teachers, and pastors, we tend to make, even force the Bible to tell our story. And to this I say, shame on us. That's not meant to sound cruel, but I fully recognize that the author of the Judeo-Christian scriptures, our Bible, is the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Peter 1, 19-21. And in 2 Timothy two fifteen, we preachers, pastors, and teachers are exhorted to accurately handle the word of truth. And while the literal meaning of this phrase in the Greek New Testament is to cut a straight line, Its range of understanding is to rightly divide, to correctly apportion, and Webster's Dictionary definition of apportion is dividing and sharing out according to a plan. So the meanings continue, to accurately handle, to handle aright, to dissect or expound correctly. Some really good English translations have given us correctly handles, correctly explains, Rightly handling, rightly dividing, accurately handling, correctly teaching, preaching straightforwardly, even handling with precision. Second Timothy 2.15 and 3.14-17 act like a prelude to Paul's exhortation to Timothy in anticipation that the time will come when people will give up on sound doctrine preferring to have their ears tickled and accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, turning their ears away from the truth. As Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 inform us, 
Well, friends, our maiden voyage verse to kick off this new series will be Matthew sixteen eighteen, And I'm sure you're familiar with the context of this statement by Jesus. Recall Jesus's question to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Then comes Peter's famous reply. You know it, right? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. To which Jesus then replies, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And now comes our key verse, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So today's session one I'm calling, Upon Whose Rock? And this becomes the quintessential question, doesn't it, friends? Upon who did Jesus build his church? Well, what makes this question challenging, friends, is that throughout Christian history, there emerged three views. In other words, three theories on just who this rock is Jesus is talking about. First, this rock refers to Jesus himself. Second, This rock refers to Peter himself, and this is the view held by the Roman Catholic Church to this day. Third, this rock refers to Peter's confession of faith, that being his declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter's declaration appearing in verse 16. What complicates this issue even further is that some sincere Bible students and scholars contend that since Jesus and his disciples likely spoke Aramaic to each other, here in Matthew 16, the word choices for Peter's name and the word rock in Greek becomes a moot point. This is because in Aramaic, the word for Peter and the word for rock are the same word. There's only one choice in the Aramaic language. So in their minds, the distinction in the Greek text fades away. Yet, friends, other sincere Bible scholars propose that the difference in the two key words, Peter and rock, in the Greek language are important and significant in helping us to properly interpret this text and finally answer the question, who is this rock? Perhaps it will be helpful if we imagine for a moment just how the disciples and Peter would hear Jesus' statement in Matthew sixteen eighteen, so we can get a feel for how the language distinction is made. So, friends, please allow me for a moment to step into the shoes of Mr. Portocalos in the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding and say, Give me a wart, any wart, and I will show you how the root of that wart is Greek. I'll read Matthew 16, 18 in English with the words Peter and rock in Greek from a more formal or literal translation. And I tell you that you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church, or assembly, or community. Friends, the difference in these words is not only important, but it's actually fun to explore, being or becoming a Berean and searching the scriptures to see if these things are so, is actually an enjoyable pursuit, far from sterile or boring. 
Peter's name here is the word Petros, which means a small stone, a fragment, or piece that has broken off from a larger rock formation. In our modern vernacular, we could say a chip off the old block. On the other hand, the word rock here is the word Petra, which means bedrock, a massively large rock like a cliff or the section of a mountain. Now, friends, I hope you're finding this as interesting as I did when researching it, because both Peter in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, and the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verses 32 and 33, quote the prophet Isaiah in a particularly messianic passage. Here's some key phrases from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. Peter begins in verse 4 to instruct Christ followers that they are now living stones, portraying Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6 he says, For this is contained in a scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then Peter says in verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In verse 6, Peter quotes Isaiah 28, 16. And in verse 8, he quotes Isaiah 8, 14. The Apostle Paul quotes the exact same two Isaiah passages in Romans 9:33, talking about the Israelites stumbling over the stumbling stone. He says, They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So, friends, by both Peter and Paul quoting the same words from the Hebrew prophet Isaiah, as well as Peter including an additional reference to Psalm 118, it becomes clear that these statements are references to the Messiah. They function like messianic predictions. And to top it off, in Jesus' parable of the landowner in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 46, Jesus also makes the same reference to Psalm 118. And in verses 45 and 46, Matthew records that the Pharisees understood that Jesus was talking about them. In other words, they were the builders mentioned in Psalm 118.22. This parable is also recorded in Mark 12 and Luke 20. Well, friends, let's let our fingers do the walking through a representative sampling of some key Old Testament passages. And my goal here is to field test these passages and through them argue the case that only two beings in the Bible are declared to be and qualify to be the rock, God himself and Jesus Christ. We'll begin in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4. The operative phrases being, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, this being Yahweh, the name of Israel's covenant God, and ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. Then skip ahead to verses 15 through 18. The operative phrase is being, Then Israel abandoned God who made them and rejected the rock of their salvation. And they forgot the rock who fathered them and forgot the God who gave them birth. Again, skip ahead to verses 28 through 31. The operative phrase is being, For they, Israel, are a nation destitute of counsel. 
How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord, Yahweh, had given them up? Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. Let's fast forward to 1 Samuel 2.2. Friends, this is Hannah's song of thanksgiving. You remember Hannah? She was barren and couldn't conceive, but later God had mercy on her and enabled her to have a child whom she named Samuel. So in her thanksgiving song to God, she says, There is no one holy like the Lord, Yahweh. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Let's turn to Second Samuel twenty two, one through three, which records David's song of deliverance from the hand of Saul. David begins with The Lord, Yahweh, is my rock, and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge. Now, what's cool here, friends, is that two different Hebrew words are used. The first rock means a cliff and is figuratively referring to a stronghold or a fortress. And the second rock means a more massive rock, like bedrock. And the cooler thing? This second word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the word Petra. So God is David's Petra. And since we're on the subject of the Greek Old Testament, in Isaiah 8.14 that I mentioned earlier, particularly that both Peter and Paul quote this Messianic passage, Isaiah 8.14 in the Greek translation of the Old Testament has Petra for rock. Well, friends, let's let our fingers walk through some of the Psalms. I've chosen five Psalms to support my contentions and reinforce the fact that the rock being spoken of in our Old Testament is God himself with some hints of the Messiah. So our next stop is Psalm 18, 1 through 3, the operative phrases being in verses 2 and 3. The Lord, Yahweh, is my rock and my fortress and my savior, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Then verses 30 and 31. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is refined. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And to close out Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Friends, next up is Psalm 19, verse 14, the closing words of this psalm, which, when I'm invited to preach, I often pray for my sermon this way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Next, Psalm 28, 1. To you, Lord, I call, my rock, do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Next, Psalm 31, 1 through 3, the operative phrases being in verses 2 and 3. Be a rock of strength or refuge for me, a stronghold to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. 
And lastly from the Psalms, Psalm 42, 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Friends, I hope we're all beginning to see the case that is building for this term rock, being a reference to God himself, and as I also said, some hints of the Messiah to come. Okay, now, next up is a few references from the prophet Isaiah. I've already mentioned Isaiah 8.14, which has messianic overtones, and is quoted as such by both Peter and Paul in 1 Peter 2 and Romans 9. Well, let's go to Isaiah 17, 9 and 10, the operative phrase being in verse 10. And this is a prophecy against Damascus. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Then just skip ahead to chapter 44, 6 through 8. The operative phrase being in verse 8. Have I not long since announced it to you and declared it? And this is God talking. And you are my witnesses. Is there any other God besides me? Or is there any other rock? I know of none. Well, that certainly seems pretty final, doesn't it, friends? Is there any other rock? I know of none. God himself says. So let's close out our arsenal of selected Old Testament passages with the prophet Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 12. This almost seems anticlimactic compared to what we just read in Isaiah 44, 8, but it will reinforce the point. And verse 12 is part of a prophecy that God will punish Judah by using the Chaldeans. Are you not from time everlasting, Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, Lord, have appointed them to deliver judgment, and you, O rock, have destined them to punish. Well, friends, as our fingers do the walking now into our New Testament, I believe that peace de resistance will be found in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4. Friends, before I read these verses, I'd like to suggest you read the entire chapter 10. It's a great chapter, and Paul begins this with the opening four verses which say, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers, in other words, the Hebrew ancestors, were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ." or the Messiah. In other words, the rock was the Messiah. Wow, what a bridge builder Paul was. He just built a bridge from Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to the Old Testament references to rock. And Paul uses the Greek word Petra in both instances here in 1 Corinthians 10.4. Friends, what I find interesting about chapter 10 here, and why I suggest you take the time to read the whole chapter, is that Paul practically puts his summary statement first. These four introductory statements function like a warning taken from Israel's history, and he then proceeds to draw parallels from Israel's sins. Notice the nevertheless connecting word that begins verse 5, and Paul's enumeration of Israel's sins from verse 6 through verse 12, which I'm happy to share with you. It'll be a teaser for you to draw you to read the full chapter. 
So, verse 5 begins, Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for their dead bodies were spread out in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they indeed craved them. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, nor are we to commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and twenty-three thousand fell in one day. Nor are we to put the Lord to the test, as some of them did, and were killed by the snakes. Nor grumble, as some of them grumbled, and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let the one who thinks he stands watch out that he does not fall. Now, friends, I propose that this backstory connecting the rock of the Old Testament to Jesus Christ in the New Testament actually gives us some additional insight into some of the things Jesus said during his earthly ministry things which actually make it easier now to draw a spiritual parallel or lesson, like Matthew seven twenty four through 27. In some of our English Bibles, there's a heading over verse 24 that says, The two foundations. In these verses, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Ding, 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 Petra. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Remember our title for today? Upon whose rock? So the text closes out with, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell, and its collapse was great. Friends, are you connecting the dots here? The foundation to life is Jesus Christ, the rock, upon which we are to build our house. Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians three ten and 11, when he says, According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, friends, in searching out or exploring the whole counsel of God, let us employ this barrage of scripture passages as we take a second look and reread Matthew 16:18, our text under examination today. Let's just see what interpretation naturally follows. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and upon this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Friends, sometimes it's helpful to observe what a text does not say, as well as what it does say. Those who've attended my classes or sermons know that I often bring this point out. For example, here Jesus did not say, You are Petros, and upon you I will build my church. Well, that sure would make things a lot easier, wouldn't it, friends? Then there'd be no doubt Jesus was talking about Peter. Let's expand on this just a little more, drawing out some points from verse 18. Jesus did say, I will build 
my church. Jesus did not say, you will build my church. And Jesus did not say, I will build your church. Jesus did not say, Peter will build my church. Friends, I think the best way to end our time together today would be to quote the 1836 lyrics written by Edward Mote, whose hymn was called The Solid Rock, whose opening verse and chorus declare, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And by the way, this hymn was actually inspired by Jesus' parable of the man who built his house on the rock. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I so appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback. A listener recently wrote in about the last series, Truth, Lies, and Love in Action, saying, Thanks for a wonderful message. Indeed, these are frightening times. May we remain strong to do the work he has given us to do. Well, thank you for your supportive feedback. And remember, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And please keep in mind, friends, a word from the word is a listener-supported program. Christian radio in general, and a word from the word in particular, have not been immune from the challenging financial and economic times we've been facing. So, as a new year has dawned, please consider and pray about helping to keep a word from the word on the air with your kind support. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.